Hi, I'm Chris Serber. I'm the senior minister at First Congregational Church of Naples, and welcome to the Pilgrim Path podcast. I'm here, the pastor of this church. I'm also the uh, co-founder and executive director of Supply and Multiply, a ministry my family and I founded while living in Haiti. And it's my privilege and my pleasure today to be with my colleague, uh, the Reverend uh, Bob Leroux. And uh, I want to, in fact, the Reverend Dr. Bob Leroux. I'm going to share just a little bit. Uh, I printed off a bio, uh, Bob, and uh, I probably could you know, take a whole podcast just going through this. So I'm just going to hit this. <laughs> just to get, I want people to have an idea because our topic today is going to be uh, translating or um, observing, learning from uh, military principles of leadership for the pastoral ministry. It's a topic very close to my heart. Uh, I spent eight years on active duty in the Marine Corps and then two years in the Army National Guard. And the bulk of that time, I was some rank of sergeant. I was a sergeant or then a staff sergeant for the majority of that time. And uh, so, you know, that's kind of like a, uh, a local, you know, enlisted leader uh, uh, or something like that. And so, and in the Marine Corps, especially leadership principles, uh, they're taught and explored from the day you show up. And, um, and I found that, I don't, I don't have as vast experience in the Army, but I did find that to be really sort of present in the Army culture as well. So I want to give folks just an idea of your background, and then we'll get into this discussion, and uh, I'm sure it'll prove fruitful, maybe for, for, some, for somebody going into the ministry uh, with a military background, or maybe help some church member better understand some of the, the, some of the quirks and uh, consistencies of their, of their pastor with a military background. So Reverend well, Dr. Bob Leroux was born in New Jersey and grew up as an army brat in Heidelberg, Germany and Governor's Island, New York. He has two master's degrees and a doctoral degree, along with certification in hospital ministry and completion of the Army's Command and General Staff College. He served 25 years as an Army chaplain, retiring in 1999 as a lieutenant colonel. His military awards include the Meritorious Service Medal, Kuwait Liberation Medal, Army Expeditionary Medal, NATO Medal, Humanitarian Service Medal, and Legion of Merit. Highlights of his military service were participation in Desert Storm and Operation Joint Endeavor, the ongoing mission in the Balkans. He has been stationed throughout the United States, Germany, Korea. After his military retirement, he moved to Saugus, Massachusetts, where he served as the senior pastor of Cliftondale Congregational Church for 17 years. He served as the president of the Saugus Clergy Association and deputy wing chaplain of the Civil Air Patrol and the Saugus Rotary Club and Saugus Coalition Against Domestic Violence, Triad Senior Council, Saugus Speaks Out Health Task Force, and the Saugus Veterans Council. He served for 12 years as chaplaincy endorser for his denomination, the Conservative Congregational Christian Conference, through which I initially made connection with you. Upon yeah. retirement, he served as interim pastor in two churches in Massachusetts. His family includes his wife, Laura, son, Matthew, and daughter, Ruth. He is a guitar player and a kayaker. I was just saying to you before we started, I love seeing your pictures of you kayaking. It's very inspirational uh, to me and encouraging uh, to me. You know, just th this year, in fact, I've taken up a whole lot of return to physical activity. I've lost a bunch of weight this morning. I rode my bike a little more than 10 miles. Halfway, uh, halfway to that of that ride, I, I rode straight to the beach, and then it's, I was going to make a, like a nice little devotional, and then what do you know? The the bottom dropped out of the sky, and I got soaking wet, so I had to ride back in the rain. But uh, you know, still enjoyable getting out on the bike, like you get out on the kayak. So um, anyway, welcome. It's, it's, it's probably one of the best things I've done for myself. Hmm. 
Yeah. Oh, it, it's incredible. So, uh, so welcome. And uh, yeah, what else? Anything else you, you want to say about yourself? That's an exhaustive, uh, you know, and I, I know uh, from, from my military service and all the military people I know, I know that there's more that could be in that bio. So thank you for your service and uh, welcome. I always say it was a blessing to serve. And at the moment I'm in transition, I've completed my second interim and I'm open to what the Lord has for me. I'm also enjoying a nice breather. That's right. That's right. Well, I tell you what, I um, today, what I want to talk about, I think about this all the time. And I've never seen, maybe there is, if somebody knows, if there's some books, some literature on this topic, if anyone's written some articles on this topic, you know, uh, years ago, I used to write articles for churchleaders.com. And, and it, I should, I should go back and write something on this topic. But if, if somebody has it out there, I'd love to know. I have talked about and thought about a lot about translating military leadership principles into the pastoral ministry. And it seems to me that, um, you know, some of the best pastors I've ever known in terms of their dedication, their commitment, their authenticity, their, their let's say, uh, commitment to the mission of God, you know, they're military guys. They're, they're uh, famously, Chuck Swindoll was a United States Marine, and I was listening to a sermon of his once, and I heard that, and I thought, oh, no wonder I love Chuck Swindoll, you know? <laughs> the Sermonator. That's right. That's yeah. That's right. I I um, uh, I have a yeah. I have a T-shirt my wife bought me that says the Sermonator. Uh, I was thinking about wearing it on the mat soon to uh, jujitsu, but I'm afraid somebody would take issue with it and punish me more on the mat. That's but uh, <laughs> but um, you know, so when I when I first went on staff after ten years of uh, well nine years active duty, another year in the reserves. And uh, when I first went on staff at a church, the Kirk of Dunedin, where my good friend Jerry Rittenhouse is the pastor uh, in Dunedin, Florida, there was an incident right away. I mean, I had just left the army altogether. I would just been out a couple of months and there was an issue in the church where a certain man was being very unreasonable, causing lots of problems. And I was made aware of it. I was like the associate minister for maybe two weeks. This man was causing this problem. And being really unreasonable and 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 running down the the, the the situation, making it much worse. And so one day after church, I just approached him, and uh, I said, "Hey, I I want to understand what's going on. Like, what what what's the what's what's causing all this friction?" And I just had this really direct conversation with the guy. And in my mind, I was still kind of like a staff sergeant in the Marines or in the Army. And uh, afterwards, Jerry he says, "You're not afraid of anything, are you?" And uh, he said, you know, in all these years of ministry, that for him, uh, one of the things that had been a big challenge was to, con- was to deal with things directly, right? And yeah. I said to him, and this is an analogy that, that I really believe in, in, in Marine infantry training, in Marine combat training that you go through after boot camp, there is this principle that was taught to us then, and uh, perhaps it's still taught, that if ambushed while on a patrol, an infantry patrol, if ambushed and you're down in a valley and the enemy has the high ground to turn and there's no cover, right? So you're, you're kind of in a bad situation, turn and run up the hill, attacking them like crazy people. And it was like, Oh, okay. So the principle for me was if you're in a no win situation, deal with the problem directly. You kind of have nothing to lose. You kind of have nothing to lose. And so, so I told that to him and he said, Oh, I, he said, Marines are weird. Or so he said, he said something like that. There's also the principle of caring enough to confront. And right. in, the, in the military, we often do it by giving a butt showing. 
Uh, I taught right. leadership counseling and I told the NCOs I was teaching that that's not what I'm here to tell you how to do because you're already very good at it. Um, I'm here to tell you how to do carefrontation mm. so that when you are done correcting someone, if you do it right, they will thank you because you have helped them. And I think that's an important principle of leadership. Oh, for sure. For sure. I th- I, and, you know, and I say sometimes like I, I, in that situation, I said, well, I think the Marine Corps broke my fear <clears throat> meter. I, I'm not I, I, I just don't get afraid easily. Because, you know, I served under, when I came in the Marine Corps, it was early, mid-90s, and most of the sergeants that were, that, in fact, all of the sergeants that I had in the Amtrak unit, the amphibious tank unit that I was a part of at Camp Pendleton in California, uh, all of them were veterans from um, Iraq, from the Persian Gulf War. And so these were guys, they weren't fake tough guys, you know, they yeah. were actually tough guys. And, and they understood let's say something like, you know, the practical value of leadership in an actual difficult situation. So they weren't putting on a show. And, you know, what, one of the things that, that was evident in their lives, that's something I probably learned from watching them as much as listening to them is yeah, you, they, they cared about the, their troops and, and they, they also went directly at the problem. You know, they're not going to let it fester like a, like, and create an infection. They're going to deal with it directly. Well, you know, we shouldn't be hesitant or fearful to be decisive. Uh, I do realize that some people, that is their leadership style, they're action oriented. Right. I don't, I don't mean to say that we just blunder into things blindly. We sure, do need to right. take time to consider, but there are times when you do need to make a quick decision. Uh, right. and, and, you know, so those, both of those are true. Oh yeah. I mean, what about, what do you think about the idea, you know, um, uh, how, how do people say it often? A, a a good plan executed now is better than a great plan executed later or not executed. Well, right. Some people are so reticent, they never get anything accomplished. Right. And I think in the parish, uh, that can be fatal. Uh, you know, one thing I learned and this, not in the military, Rick Warren once said, my, my megachurch is rather successful, but you'd be surprised at all the things I, I, I attempted that failed. The point <laughs> right. is... You need to try things. If they don't work, fine. Go on to something else. Right, right, for sure. I, I uh, so I pulled up. I want to share this with you, and then I'm curious your thoughts on these different ideas. Mm-hmm. I cool. I pulled up from the Marine Corps University. Um, this is the Marine Corps University. They put out like all kinds of training material, training man- manuals on various topics, but uh, um, a lot of it is written about in leadership. crayon. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I know. I, I, were, I, were there yeah. pictures? <laughs> there, there are. So, so they put out all of this like uh, distance learning material, especially that's like required coursework that people do. And uh, yeah, it's kind of funny. And on active duty in the Marines, you'll hear a lot of people say, "Oh, that's an oxymoron." The Marine Corps University. It's like uh, smash harder. You know, that's the course. <laughs> um, so, so here is uh, a couple. We of- can before because we love. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I, I learned when I went from the Marines, I was a Marine Corps staff sergeant on a Friday. I was an Army National Guard recruiter the following Monday. Oh my and God. Um, I learned by the end of that first. Can week, you reverse the lobotomy? <laughs> yeah, I learned by the end of that first week that uh, the that soldiers, Army guys, they don't care for uh, they don't like when Marines, former Marines start sentences with, well, back in the Marine Corps, this is how we did it. Like I learned by the end of that week that yeah, it was yeah. like, uh, you know, um, 
So, so these, okay, so here's this. This is, again, from the Marine Corps University. This is the 11 Marine Corps leadership principles. Also, uh, they were also adopted from the U.S. Army, uh, though the history is uh, a bit complex. Uh, so these principles were adopted from 14 leadership traits that the Army developed, um, in, let's see, going back into the 1950s. And, and, and then, the let's see, finally in 1961, after a bunch of changes to these and adaptations, the, in 1961, the U.S. Army published FM 22-100, all these training manuals, right? Under the new title, under, right, under the new title of military leadership, yep. which includes the familiar 14 leadership traits. So bearing, courage, decisiveness, dependability, endurance, enthusiasm, initiative, integrity, judgment, justice knowledge, loyalty, tact, unselfishness. So these are uh, 14, these 14 uh, leadership traits. Now, the Marine Corps then later translated them uh, and pulled from those and developed these 11 leadership principles that they teach. In fact, for a brief time, uh, I was uh, an instructor at the corporal's course in Yuma, Arizona. And I remember uh, oh, teaching a course in leadership on these uh, on these uh, principles. So here's the first one. And what I'm interested in, especially what I, get, I think I'm processing, is how to be sort of specific in translating these, or at least observe it. Maybe this is not like a necessary exercise, but I think it's maybe a useful exercise uh, for leaders in general, but especially for military guys to figure out how, what to take from their toolbox of leadership from the military and then translate it into effective pastoral leadership. You know, because, I mean, you might think, well, you know, things you learn that none of it, none of it applies. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, the, the Lord shapes us in various ways uh, and gives us all kinds of skill and background. I mean, you wouldn't expect a guy with an IT background who goes into the ministry not to have a, his church not to have a great website or something, right? I mean, there, there's tools that can translate. So I went digging around for a few biblical passages to support or say to pass these things through, because of course the word of God is our primary filter and foundation. So principle number one from Marine Corps leadership principles is know yourself and seek self-improvement. And I, and so I went digging around and I found Romans chapter seven, verses 15 through 24. And this is the passage where Paul says, I don't even understand my own actions for I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. This is my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. And then he goes on and, and, and extrapolates this idea that I think at least an inherent principle in that is if we're going to be pastoral leaders, if we're going to be you know, traveling as fellow pilgrims with Christians on their journey through this world, if we're going to be able to be anything like an example, anything, I mean, we're going to do it imperfectly, but anything like an example, I think that first principle is, is spot on. I mean, the Apostle Paul uh, later, well, in fact, there's another passage we'll get into with another principle, but, uh, you know, it, the, the Apostle Paul talks about, about encouraging people to follow him as he follows Jesus. How can we even get there if we don't first know ourselves? So, and that, you know, first, I, that first principle yeah implies that we are humble right we don't think too much of ourselves we we have to be confident but we can be humble as well 
Absolutely. Leaders have to lead. And in order to do that, you have to have some strength, but strength that is tempered by humility, because leadership implies that you have some power Mm -hmm. and a powerful leader who is not humble is going to be a tyrant. Well, you know, and that might be a common misconception, I think, especially people who haven't served in the military, that they might think that all the best military leadership is just 100% top down telling people you do this in a tyrannical way. But that's not that wasn't my experience. No, my uh, Right. Like, I mean, if you have a guy who who is who is the leader at whatever level and he never listens to any input from anybody and always expresses a kind of arrogance that, you know, there's no possibility that anyone could have any valuable input. That guy, you, know, you don't respect him. I, I knew a chaplain who as soon as he got to his assignment, they, they gave him a chapel. And the number one first thing he did was to fire the parish council. Not a very smart idea. Oh, uh, you know, as a as a congregational minister, I have a church council and I, it would be smart for me to listen to them mm. and, and to allow and, and to recognize that I serve them. They don't serve me. Right. Amen. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, and that and again, like that, that is something that I think is probably commonly misunderstood about about good military principles of leadership. You know, there is there are different types, like you said earlier, there's different types of leadership, but the collaborative leader uh, is going to do, you know, so from the military training, it's like willingness to make a decision right now. There are plenty of times in the ministry you have to do that all the way from, you know, hey, pastor, do you want me to place an order for more paper plates from the secretary, all the way to things that are much more significant and the decision needs to be made or, um, you know, but then but then so a willingness to make tough decisions when that's left to you, but a willingness and a really a desire to actively cultivate collaborative leadership in the, in the church, because doesn't that lend itself to all these biblical principles of us being members of one another? We're all members of one body. Uh, each one has gifts differing. And if you have a top-down controlling minister, you're going to squash the congregation's ability uh, to, to exercise their gifts. Well, you know, it also means sharing the power. I know pastors who try to do everything because they, they are convinced that they can do it best. And sometimes, you know, maybe the, even, even when that is true, you need to give the people under you the opportunity to try and, and to allow them to fail and to learn from that failure, but, but not to try to do everything. You know, Chris, one of the first things we learned in the military is we're all expendable. Nobody is essential. I had a commander once in a field training exercise in Germany who got injured. And when I visited him at the Krankenhaus, the German hospital, I said, sir, you've given us great training opportunity here Uh, because we've had to learn to survive without you. And he he was a little ticked off at me at the moment, but he agreed that that was probably true. So, (laughs) oh, yeah. And a lot of that humility that, that I think is inherent in good leadership, you know, there are. okay, so. It's good to know that there are other men. I say sometimes uh, I trained with some of the toughest men on the planet. Yeah. Uh, some of these Marines I train with. And it's, it's kind of good to know that expendability factor. I mean, the fact that you train with tough guys and like you go to run and like I never was the fastest runner. I never was the strongest of, at anything. I was always just good. You know, I was never like the great one. And uh, it's like that's kind of good to know. It's good to know that that, that you that it, it's like a practical humility thing that takes place, especially for. 
I'd say, especially in, in your younger years, when you're prone to wanting to exert, you know, sort of exert your worth. But then, then also, yeah, like the, yeah, you know for sure you're expendable because you can get orders tomorrow to go somewhere, and you think, wait a minute, how is this place going to function without me? But you know, Chris, you also mentioned that you work with the toughest of the tough, and as pastors, we we have some people in our churches that are a bit rough around the edges. Mm-hmm. Most pastors who have only worked in churches and not in the real world. Mm-hmm don't have that experiential understanding about how people really are. And, right. and I can feel comfortable in front of somebody who is profane right. and, right. and unpleasant. That doesn't, that doesn't throw me, right. you know, right. where some ministers, I know it does. Oh and yeah. I've okay. had a, I've had a number of times where people were, were swearing or whatever. And a lot of times they're, Sometimes they're in the church, sometimes they're out of the church. And I, I always kind of get a chuckle when they say, Oh, I'm sorry, Pastor, as as though people assume I, I've never heard I've never heard that kind of language. And I'll always say, I I, uh, I grew up in the Marine Corps. You're not you're not gonna embarrass me with that. Yeah. You know, and and it's like, you know, I'm not saying that people should be profane, but but it's like, okay, I think a part of that experience in my life and seeing, yeah, really rough people and people who've gone through some really rough things, it's like, okay. I'm more interested in impacting your life as a disciple of Jesus on a level far deeper than your tendency to use, let's say, you know, um, language that's not recommended in polite society. Like I'm like, I'm more interested in in your heart. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's interesting. I, I, that's a, that's a really, it's not a distraction for us. Right. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I was talking to a woman one time at an airport because I talked to everybody when I got out of the Marines, then I that first year on the guard, I was a recruiter. So I it like, just, I just oh, talked yeah. to everybody. And uh, so I was talking to this woman waiting for a plane that had been delayed. And she started telling me just the roughest elements of her background. And I think she was doing it to test me because after about five minutes of this, this, all these things, she says, uh, she said, I just said, you know, X, Y, Z. And you, that didn't even affect you. You just kept listening. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, pe- people's, I, you know, I, I'm not, you're not going to say much that's going to shock me. When I was a photographer in the Marine Corps, part of our job was to do crime scene investigation uh, for the MPs or for NCIS or for CID for the criminal investigative division or, or the Naval Criminal Investigation Investigative Services. And uh, so it's like, I've seen a lot of stuff. And that millet, that exposure at a fairly young adult age, just like the realities and complexities of life. Yeah, I think, you I know, think I, I, I had an XO at, at an MP battalion and at my initial briefing, he used every bad word he could think of. And I thought he was testing me. And then I was later t- talking to the S1 who said, uh, no, chapel, he talks that way to everyone. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I made that guy my project. I befriended him. I found out what his interests were and we became close right. friends. And I oh, had an opportunity awesome. to share the gospel with him. Cha- chaplains have some of the, you know, I've known a number of retired chaplains who were pastors. And, uh, and of course, I knew some chaplains when I was on active duty. I got actively involved in the ministry after I'd been in the Marine Corps about four and a half years, five years. And I, I, a retired Baptist preacher got me preaching in retirement communities in Yuma, Arizona, uh, where I was stationed at Marine Corps uh, Air Station Yuma. A and, very and, hot place. Oh, hot as can be. 
And, uh, and so I was very active in the ministry, but I wasn't a chaplain, but I knew, but I knew a lot of chaplains. And uh, there was a time when I was about, I don't know, I was maybe 19. I was a, like a 19 year old Marine Corps Lance Corporal. I spent an hour spit shining each boot on Sunday nights. I mean, I was a, I was a serious Marine and uh, a certain thing had happened in my family. And I was beside myself and giving serious consideration to driving to somebody's house and doing them great harm. And uh, it was a really egregious situation and something had been done to one of my family members that was horrible. And so I went, I, I, I was up all night stressing out about it. I went to see the chaplain the next day, this, this Navy chaplain, this Lieutenant Colonel at third uh, amphibious assault battalion in Camp Pendleton. And I went to see him and this guy. So I walked into his, his office and he said, yeah, yeah, you can come in. And we started talking. I told him what was happening. And I said, I'm, I'm fighting off everything in me to get in my car and drive and do this person great harm. And he says, let's go. I'll go with you. And I was like, are you serious? Aren't you supposed to talk me out of this? Aren't you supposed to be the voice of reason? Well, he was, but he was, this guy was so interested in, I, he was a real guy. You know, he wasn't like, I, didn't, I hadn't, you know, put him off with my, my gruff language or my anger. He was identifying with me in that trouble. And then he was taking serious the kind of person I had been trained to be, you know, to be a man of action and, and, and even potentially violence. And uh, I'll never forget. I don't, I don't remember his name, honestly. He was, but he was a great chaplain. He, he, was, he was the kind of guy that ran with us and, uh, when we did unit runs, and he didn't really have to do that. And um, he was right there with us. And, but in that counseling session, he, nothing I said, none of my interest in violence, not, none of my anger, none of that phased him at all. And he was right there, right there in the thick of it with me. And he ended up giving me some really great advice and he helped me to, to, to diffuse it. And, you know, he made it clear like, okay, so you go do that. You're going to ruin your career. You're going to go to jail. This thing's going to happen. And I was like, yeah, thank you. You know, and he prayed with me, but he wasn't phased by, by any of what, what I said or what was happening. And, um, you know, that's, I mean, yeah, that's, 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 I think that's an interesting thing. I've seen lots of chaplains retire, go into the ministry, and they have a certain presence about them that say is, you know, yeah, connected with, with the, the complexities and difficulties of life, having seen some things uh, and been around some, some, some difficult situations. And, you know, it opens a lot of doors. I'm sure that with you being a veteran, Chris, that, that a lot of doors have opened for you just because you served. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. And I'm like you, I always think, yeah, when people thank me for my service, I'm always a little bit like, well, just, you know, thank you for the GI bill that I went to seminary on, I you know, know. <laughs> thank you for all the blessings and the benefits of it. Thank you for all of the great training that I received. You know, my, I, you know, I grew up, I, my, my, I was an absentee dad and, um, and then a stepfather who was kind of, you know, we, we didn't, we weren't exactly connected properly. And uh, so it was like the, the father for me was a Marine Corps drill instructor. Well, that's really good. And that can be really bad. So, so, so again, this is another, another area where I've had to think, okay, how do I translate my, that sort of military formation? You know, I was, I graduated high school on a Friday. I was in boot camp Sunday night. And it's like, how do I translate that military formation into fathering, into parenting, into being a husband, right? That whole, you know, and so, because there, there, there's some, some rough, character traits that were, were sort of ingrained, um, you know, in that, but always trying to keep, you know, it's like the Marine Corps seems to want to create you create men, especially and, and women too, but 
uh, it, especially in like in these infantry, you know, combat arms types unit, they want to create beasts, you know, people c- capable of great violence, but who, who, un- who are knights or samurai who understand how to contain that and then focus, um, let's say that energy in positive ways. And it seems to me that that's, yeah, go ahead. Not, not every military dad is the great Santini, right? You know, who, who yeah. cannot, cannot transition from, from being a rough commander to being a loving father and, and, That's right. and husband. Uh, you know, there are those. I, I, I used to tell people, when you go home, take off the uniform and take off the attitudes. Right. You know, you've got to transition to being a nice guy again. Right. You spent the whole day dealing with all kinds of terrible issues and stresses. And, and, uh, you know, in fact, I even recommend that sometimes people walk home. You know, just it's a lot easier if you live on base, which I normally did. Right. Uh, But, you know, you got it. You can't you can't always be that same person when you get home. And of course, I've had a lot of guys, I had generals say to me, my kids don't even respect me, you know, and everybody else does, but my family doesn't. I said, well, it's a different role. That's right. The, the, the rank on the collar, that's not how it, well, and even in good military leadership, it's got to be more than just the rank. Otherwise, well, I got to tell you, every, yeah. every single church I've pastored since I retired, there's always some crusty NCO that refuses to call me pastor. He always calls me colonel. Oh, nice. Yeah. Hey, I, I tell you what, I've been out of the Marine Corps since 2003. And there's uh, in this church, there are strangely, there's this uh, retired full bird colonels, and they're all former Marines. There's like three of them. And then another man who comes to visit his family. And I still find it difficult not to, I call a lot of people, sir, anyway, but it's like, I still am like, well, in another life, uh, you outranked me so much, I would have almost never had a conversation with you. So I'm going to go ahead and still call you, sir. <laughs> you know, it's like. Um, yeah. After every gets... sermon, you give them an after action report. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Whenever they're here, I find it more, I, fi- I feel a more great, a greater sense of obligation to tell Marine Corps stories as sermon illustrations, which uh, thankfully I have a congregation that appreciates them. But You know, I, I once asked my my uh, diaconate if I talk too much about the military and they said, no, you don't. And it's interesting. You yeah. have to speak from, from your experience. Right. And that's what I drew from. Absolutely. And of course the nice, the other nice thing about it is they knew I wasn't talking about any of them. Right. Which you should never do. You should right. never no. do. No, you can't. Yeah. I'd love to do the, I, yeah, I want to develop when it comes to sermon illustration, things that I did try to use, you know, I'm always looking for stories when, even when something bad happens to me, I'm like, this is going to make a great sermon illustration. And uh, yeah, you got to be careful about, about, about uh, use. Yeah. uh, Betraying someone's trust in you by way of making them the story. Yeah. Yeah. You got to be really careful about that. I learned that the hard way with my kids too. When they were real little, I would, I would tell stories about things they did. And then one day I told a story that I, that was a great story. It's so well illustrated the sermons. And, um, but it, it, it ended up embarrassing one of my sons when he was about five. And then he said, why are you, why are you telling people my secrets? I said, okay, okay. From now on, I'll ask your permission if I'm going to tell exactly. a story that you're in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I had heard sage advice from other, from, you know, more, more seasoned ministers about it, about doing that. But, but I, uh, yeah, the story was just too good. I had, I had to use it and it popped in my head. Well, but, um, and for, for those who haven't had military experience, 
if you've got good stories to tell, they should always be from your previous church. Oh, right. <laughs> That's right. I have a list. I'm saving up for, for one of the books I intend to write, you know, some 20 or 30 years from now. But there's a lot of people who I can't tell these really funny stories until probably they're in heaven because yeah. some, yeah. Some, of them, some of them would be too, would be too personal. Or I'd have to change the names and come up with a way to rework it. Exactly. So what, what about this? this? So I've seen this. I've, I've felt this in my own heart. And I've seen this with other military people who were called to ministry. Uh, this is so principle number two is be technically and tactically proficient. I think the obvious that, that obviously translates to anything you're doing in life. Yeah. The principle number three, know your Marines and look out for their welfare. So know your troops and look out for their welfare. Um, so I, I found this, this, uh, scripture that I think, let's see, here it is. Um, so be, be imitators of Christ as I am of Christ. Uh, uh the apostle Paul says in first Corinthians 11, uh, third, uh, third John one 11, beloved, do not imitate evil, but do what is good. Whatever does, uh, whoever does good is from God and whoever does, does evil is, has, uh, not seen God. And I'm, I'm thinking through the connection between in this way, know your Marines and look out for their welfare. It's like, uh, in the Marine Corps, especially they talk about the, uh, the two key principles or overarching themes of leadership as being mission accomplishment and troop welfare. And it's like, okay, I want to try to be a, a good example of, of that to the, to the junior Marines. And I remember one time, it was right as I was transitioning out of the Marine Corps, and, and everyone who knew I was doing it to pursue the ministry. And I worked for this particular warrant officer who was a, a rather intense individual. And uh, he said to me one day, it's good that you're going into the ministry, because I see in you the tension where you're, you sometimes are 51% troop welfare, 49% mission accomplishment. And I was really insulted when he said it because I thought that's not true. I always accomplish the mission. But, I, but I, when I think back on it, I, I think I understand what he meant. Because, you know, for me, it was like the, the troops, the people, they have, they're real people. And I want to care about them. But I always took a kind of a mentoring role as a, as a sergeant, as a staff sergeant, when it, come to, when it came to, their, to my troops. And, um, you know, so, okay, so what is the relationship between mission accomplishment and troop welfare? How do you translate that? Like the Marine Corps really wants you to think mission accomplishment, but, the, but you know, it's, it's like, or like I had one gunny one time who said, no, it's not that one comes before the other. It's that both are absolutely necessary. Right. Or, and then another, another a master sergeant, I remember when I was a real young Marine, he used to say, no, it's the, the it's it's troop welfare is when you're in garrison. Mission accomplishment is when you're in actual combat. And it's like okay, but I think that Gunny had 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 a, had a better point. It's like it's both. You have to, you really have to do both. You can't make one over the other because if you don't take care of the troops, you won't accomplish the mission. And if you there are pastors though who are remote and detached from their congregations, hmm. and uh, you know they they spend all their time in the office and right. Ministry doesn't happen in the office. General right. Patton said no good decision was ever made in a swivel chair. <laughs> I like that. And, yeah. you know, you have to get out to where the people are. And the one thing I learned in the military, more than anything else, I think, and I certainly didn't learn this in seminary, was ministry of presence, going where the people are. And that meant I would be in the mess hall, the motor pool, the barracks, the command, the headshed all those places, hmm. you know, 
Oh, I love sure. my office. And you can see I got a nice one. Yeah, and I've always, had a, I've always had a nice office. But, uh, you know, the, you got you to gotta resist the temptation to camp out in there. Oh, absolutely. Oh, and the best, you know, uh, yeah, the chaplains that I always liked the most, you'd see them all over the place. Yep. And it's like, oh, look at that. They're, because, they, again, I think, like, I don't know, my, my impression of the chaplaincy, and I gave serious thought to the chaplaincy when I was, when I, after I'd left the Marine Corps and I was recruiting for the Guard and I was finishing my undergraduate degree. And when I did, the chaplain's candidacy program was wide open to me and I, and I gave serious thought to doing it. It just, it wasn't, it wasn't right for me uh, at that time, but, uh, but I gave serious thought to it. But my impression of the chaplaincy was, and this was just strictly observation, was like, you could, you know, you could, it's a lot, it's, it's so similar to the pastoral ministry in a local church. It's like, if you want to be lazy, you probably could be. Uh, if you wanted to hang out in your office, if you wanted to drink coffee all day, you probably could. Uh, and, and, you know, like I, I read, a, a, I don't remember who it was. Uh, it was one of these old books that I like to read. I can't remember who said it, Washington Gladden, maybe, or something like that, that there are too many men who go into the ministry for the sake of convenience of time allotted for gardening. And it was like, yeah, I, I, get, I could see that. Because well, you know, if you do, I, yeah, I, was, yeah. I was talking to a, a Catholic priest, a buddy of mine who I go kayaking with, and he said they were interviewing this guy for the priesthood. And they said, What is your idea of ministry? He says, To me, it would be it, it's sitting in my office with my dog reading theology books. And they nice. said, You don't understand. Oh, that's that's more like retirement, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I get, I get it. I, you know, I, there is the appeal, right? There's the, for, for people who are very uh, cerebral, there is a principle number four of the Marine Corps leadership principles is keep your Marines informed. Now here's a thought. Communication on the battlefield is very important. And I'm all the time trying to encourage people to see the Christian life and local church life through a kind of, you know, warfare worldview, spiritual warfare. Now, obviously not everybody's going to operate at the same level of intensity. We're not all spiritual Navy SEALs, as it were. Uh, but how important is communication? And how can we think about communication from maybe, you know, at least informed from a military background where that's an imperative, you know, they, there's a phrase in the Marine Corps when it comes to uh, combat, it's like shoot, maneuver and communicate like th these are, you know, communication is, is paramount. And I, I see a lot of local churches struggling yeah. for lack of communication. I was talking to an associate pastor just the other day who said that communication is one of the, the biggest problems that the church staff has. I remember years ago, I was with the third armored division. That's not Patton's unit, but Elvis's. Right. And uh, the, uh, the brigade commander went around to the staff, the S1, the S2, 3, the chaplain, signal guy. And he said to all of us, you are not talking to each other. <laughs> and, right. and then he started to uh, apologize. We said, no, sir, you're absolutely right. Because uh, he was a nice guy. He was too nice at times. And then he said, look, what we need to do is over-coordinate. And, and I know that, sound, that sounds a little extreme, but... Right. It, you know, we're not doing it enough. Right. Well, and if you aim at overdoing it, it's like a, a, I'm no good golfer, but I did, I was, co I was coached one time by a golf pro for 30 minutes and he totally revolutionized how badly I can play. So now I'm not ridiculous bad. I can actually play badly. And uh, one of the things he told me was when there's a ball 
right? I kept topping the ball. I kept hitting the top of the ball. And he says, I want you to pretend that the ball is on the back of a turtle. And I don't want you to hit the ball. I want you to scoop the turtle up. And I thought, what is this weird? What is, what is this? And I, and I, I did it. And all of a sudden I was hitting the ball. And his point was, I was just trying to get you to overcompensate because you were so topping the ball. Now you're going under it and actually making contact. And by the way, and, uh, yeah. Chris, I, I don't play golf. And that is the reason I never made full. <laughs> oh yeah. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's probably true. Oh, for sure. There's a, there's a golf course on uh, every, base. every, milli, every yeah. base. That's right. So here, okay. We had so a heck of a sand trap in Iraq. I got to tell you. <laughs> that's, that's right. So I read a couple of passages of scripture earlier. I read them too far ahead in the conversation. Principle number five is set the example. And, uh, and that's what I, let's see, I, I had read uh, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Anytime I have ever found that passage coming up in sermon preparation, I'm terrified of it. I am terrified of it. Like, I don't, I don't, like, I don't want to, you know, however, there is a kind of confidence, you know, it's a strange thing. Like in, the, in, in my thinking about military leadership, it was like, I had to properly know and prepare myself. I like, when I was a sergeant in Yuma, in fact, I went off to sergeant's course to the Staff NCO Academy, and I came back, and this course was like rigorous. I went there, you know, in decent shape. I came back super fit, and the yeah. first thing I did is get all all the troops together uh, to do phys PT that morning, and I ran them to death. I ran, I made that we ran all over that base, and I, my goal was to make make the make Lance Corporals drop out of the run. I, I had a major say to us, you're going to do push-ups until I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and a couple of the Marines, they, they couldn't, they, they were drop, falling back. They were half dead. And then a couple of them were like, yes, this is what I've been waiting for you to do. Because we, 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 had, we, had, we were photographers. We, we, we didn't always work out the way that we should. And, um, but that's an interesting idea, right? Like in the, in the Marine Corps, it was like, have the self-awareness, the confidence to be able to tell somebody, here's how you do it. I'm going to show you the example. But yeah. that always that, that was always a tendency for that to border on that egotistical leadership. <clears throat> but in the in the pastorate, um, something similar seems to me to be required. But I am ever intimidated by saying to people, "Imitate Jesus, as I imitate Christ." But what does that mean about setting the example in the local church? I mean, you know, how ought a pastor to approach that? Uh, setting the example. I mean, or how to think about it, or how to talk about it. You know, if you're, if you're in God's will, just being yourself will do it. Yeah, for sure. I asked someone one time, a retired pastor who pastored churches, I don't know, 40 or 50 years. And I said, what's the best advice you could give me? And he said, just be yourself. And I thought, well, I don't know. I'm not always a great person. Uh, but, but it's like, I, I think he meant but, exactly but what you were point, saying. Chris, we are yeah. wounded healers. Right. You know? Yep. I, I mean, I, I heard a story about a, a young minister and uh, some elderly people in the back were talking about his sermon. And they said, he'll be a lot better after he suffered. Yeah. Amen. In other words, he That's said, right. he doesn't, I didn't have a lot of life experience. That's right. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, you, I, you want to I, suffer? Join the Marine Corps. <laughs> that's, that's right that's mostly that's mostly what boot camp is they don't teach you much other than how to suffer i i um yeah there are a few other things i suppose uh about chesty puller and and uh you know marine corps history 
but uh, yeah, for sure that, you so know, they, that, call, they call it mandatory fun. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. I, I, um, I think that that is spot on and that's gotta be, you know, that's such an important thing that is honed in military service about setting the example, leading from the front, right? Like uh, yes. the higher ranks in, 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 on an enlisted chow line out in the field. I remember as a young Marine, it was like, oh, the higher rank you were, the later you waited to eat. And, and in some instances, I think it was some training in my basic training for Amtrak or for, for amphibious assault vehicle school. And I was so impressed. I was like, I was a straight private E1 and had to have a staff sergeant, a gunnery, a gunnery sergeant or a gunny or a master sergeant. And they're serving you food. It was like, oh my gosh, this guy, like that's how, you know, how humble is he to do that? And, that's and serving leadership. Right. And, and, and right. So you, so, so you can see the translation. Oh yeah. All this talk about, you know, servant leadership in the church. It's like, oh, wait a minute, look at this. And it's not like God doesn't love military people. I mean, I, I mean, look at how many times combat or, or uh, wrestling and those sorts of things are, are, are marching orders. Even the apostle uses in the Pauline epistles time and again, as sort as, il, as illustrative of the Christian life. John the Baptist didn't uh, condemn soldiers. He just said, don't complain about your, your pay. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. So what about this? So principle number five, set the example. Principle number six, ensure the task is understood. You know, uh, when I read that, ensure the task is understood, supervised and accomplished. And when I read that, it was like, okay, uh, you know, there's time and again, we're told to teach the word. Second Timothy 2.2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust a faithful men who will be able to teach others to do so, you know, pass the knowledge along. And um, the, the obviousness of that seems to be clear. That seems to be one of those military leadership principles that's like directly transferable. You know, you some of the be best. A mentor. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I've been doing here in Massachusetts is serving in the mentored ministry program at Gordon Conwell theological mm -hmm. seminary. And, and, and I, you know, I, I hate to sound critical of seminaries, but they tend to train theologians, That's not right. pastors. Yeah. And so when the, when these young, or not sometimes not so young uh, seminarians come to see me, we talk about a lot of the practical things, uh, the nuts and bolts of real world ministry. Right. It's hard to get mentors in the military because everybody is so darn competitive. I remember going to, I was a young captain and I went to a full bird colonel chaplain and wanted advice. He said, oh, I don't know what to tell you. And it's like, well, how did you make 06 then? Right. You right. know, it was very discouraging. And I said, I'll be darned if I'm going to do that. So when I, when I became a field grade officer, I, I was determined to share what I knew with others. And, you know, sometimes people in, interpret that as being egotistical, but I think it's, it's being, it's it's being compassionate. Oh, absolutely. Oh, for sure, for sure. What what about uh, principle number seven? Train train your Marines as a team. So train your soldiers as a team. I'd say it occurs to me that that there that there could be more teaching training. I don't know exactly what it always looks like in terms of you know having cohesion. Sometimes it's like you just are in a church where where it exists. Where, where people love one another in a way that's that's unique, that's exceptional, that's Christ-like. They're there for one another. Or, or it's, another or like, or it's like a yeah, where it's like a pep rally. 
Right. You walk out of there and you haven't learned anything. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. That's absolutely. I want people to walk out and say, you know, I, I the pastor the pastor brought up something that I never was aware of before. That's right. important. I mean, you know, we're pastor teachers. That's right. You know, right. and and I think some people just want to give nothing but encouragement. Right. Uh, right. People need that, but they also need substance. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and what about an offering or an invitation and sometimes a little pushing to, to, I, it occurs to me, and maybe this is somewhat, you know, from my experience taking, uh, you know, literally hundreds of people on mission trips to Haiti, uh, we see when people, it, it's just, it's, it's super obvious when you're on a mission trip to a place like Haiti, that you're on mission, you left everything behind, you're on mission, and it's like, you can really focus. And we see people then, you know, blossom as teams, you know, sometimes people still have rubs and conflict, but for the most part, they blossom as a team, they do work together. What do you think about this idea? It occurs to me that the, you know, the, the closest I've ever been to people is, was in the Marine Corps, in a unit where we were training hard, we were enduring difficult things together. And that has a, has a, a tendency to bring people closer together, like family. And I, I'm convinced that one of the reasons that churches don't experience that same level, at least in our country, uh, typically, that same level of cohesiveness with regard to being on mission for Jesus uh, is because we're, the missing ingredient in our discipleship is sacrificial service, Yeah, you know? And, and, and so, you know, I'm all the time trying to offer and push a little bit people to come together. They say the church that works together will stay together or grow together. You know? I had at the church that I pastored in Saugus for 17 years. I think the success of that church wasn't the pastor, but it was the fact that I could look out into the congregation and see very, very few people who were just sitting there doing nothing. Right. You know, at mo almost everybody was doing something. And as for mission, you know, I, I had a sign that I, at the exit. It said, you are now entering the mission field. That's right. We have right. to keep right. that in mind. We're either missions, right. missionaries, or we are a mission field. That's right. You know, right. but I mean, if everybody is doing something, even if it's something small, they are, they're, they're obeying the gospel. I mean, you know, we're, look, we're not saved by works, but we're also not saved without producing works. That's right. We're not saved from works, that's for sure. You're saved right? for We're, works. Right, for works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So here's a couple more, and uh, I'll just be curious. Uh, I'm just going to share these, and then any thoughts that you have that you'd like to add uh, to this conversation, I'll just uh, leave it leave it for you to 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 sort of to, you know tie this up uh, with any any thoughts again because you're an experienced guy in the ministry, experienced guy from the military. And I think that there's a lot to be learned for, uh, for especially for people who, who have a military background who are, go, who are going into the ministry or are in the ministry. I love that you're mentoring at Gordon-Conwell. I agree with you 1,000%. Seminary made me a theologian, and it was all the mentors. I was privileged. Uh, one of my earliest mentors was Dr. Ken Gangle, uh, who was academic vice president at Dallas Theological Seminary, very accomplished guy. And shockingly humble and practical and willing to help me out. You know, I, I still, from sitting on a platform with him on Sunday mornings, and I had just got out of the military, and I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't grow up wearing suits and ties. I, you know, and then I was wearing military uniform. And I, and I had a three-button coat. This always stands out to me when I think of him. I had a three-button coat 
And I was always buttoning all three buttons when I stood up and then unbuttoning them all when I sat down. And he says, may I give you some advice? I said, you can always give me advice. He says, just button the middle button. That's what people do. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so anytime I wear a three button suit coat, that's, I remember Ken telling you think me. think of him, yeah. I think of him. And, there, and he gave me lots of good advice. And there was a retired <laughs> Presbyterian minister who gave me lots of good advice. And the, the senior minister that I worked under, Jerry, I learned a lot from watching him. And it was, it was uh, you know, I wish seminary training was more like mentoring in the local church. So I'm glad. I, you, I, I'm, I, I tell seminary students the very first funeral I ever attended, I conducted, and seminary did not teach me how to do that. But you know what? Right. Later on, I went to the Army Chaplain Basic Course at Fort Hamilton, Brooklyn, New York, and I learned how to do a funeral. That's right. And that, and that, and that is, maybe that's why, you know, like I like to say that the Christian life is not an academic endeavor. It's a vocational life of, you know, mimicking Jesus, being his disciple. That's what it means to be a disciple, to be a, yeah. a, a, a learner from a master. It's a, it's a vocational experience. But, you know, that's how the military does everything. You know, yes. we, you're going to go to this school to learn how to do it, you know. Right. And, right. and uh, so may, maybe that's one of, the, one of the most practical things that could be gleaned from the, you know, what has evolved. I mean, that's what the military is, isn't it? It's like there's a very difficult problem in front of you. It's called combat. And so what practically makes us successful and gets us through this and, and uh, with the highest survivability rate and or, or highest measure of success and that intense focus on practical produces a philosophy that helps people to actually do something. Well, okay. I mean, that, well, those ideas are very church-like. Sure. It all, it, yeah. almost everything applies. Hmm. Yeah. Well, go ahead, Chris. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So here's the last couple of principles. And then just any, any thoughts you have, I'd love to love to, uh, to hear them. So make sound and timely decisions. Develop a sense of responsibility among your subordinates. Pastors have to learn what you said earlier, not to think they have to do it all themselves. Right. Employ your command in accordance with its capabilities. I think that's, that's a, a precious truth. It's like, you know, I, I've, I'm, I've always been a I've pretty much always pastored churches that were congregational, a couple of in, independent Christian churches, but they were of the, the congregational Christian, you know, background, uh, though, in fact, one of those was the Four Seas Church that I served in Virginia. And um, it's like in these churches, we, uh, we've always tended to have more seniors than not. And, and every church is like, we got to get more kids, got to get more kids, got to get more kids. And it's like, okay, okay. So let's have a, a multi-front approach, you know, we'll make that one of our battle lines. We'll put our some efforts there, but be careful uh, to not be so obsessed with being something you're not that you start to do things that are outside of your capabilities. You know, this, this also means you utilize people's strengths, right? You don't try to strengthen them in their weaknesses. Hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And principle number 11, seek responsibility. And take responsibility for your actions. Yeah. I, I have found that it seems like um, generally in leadership, for sure. I think I learned this from observing, uh, and maybe some by doing, but mostly observing great leaders in the, in the military, that when a, when a guy makes a decision or sends you on a path and it doesn't go well, and he blames the subordinates, when clearly it had a lot to do with his leadership, when he says, it's your fault, I lose respect. 
when he says, you know what, my bad, I should have listened to such and such. We're going to make a better decision next time. He actually multiplies my respect for him like tenfold. The, it's like the same thing I found in parenting. It's like with my sons, especially if I am, am you know, overbearing Marine Corps drill instructor-ish, I'm going to come back later and say, look, you know, I was a little too intense on that. Here's why I apologize. That's don't, don't mimic that. That wasn't, you know, I, I could have handled that a lot more peacefully, patiently, whatever. It's like, oh, okay. Then your kids can see that you're a real human being. Uh, same thing in the ministry or in military. You know, seek responsibility and take responsibility for your actions. It's um, not a sign of weakness to say you blew it. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a, and that's an excellent, succinct way to put it. Well, do you have any other thoughts as we, as we uh, will wrap up this time? I really, I really enjoyed having this conversation with you. I, I appreciate all your experience and your, and your insights. Sure. And uh, yeah. I, I, will I will briefly give you what I think uh, effective leaders should have either in the military or out. One we've touched upon, train, excuse me, serve as coaches, mm. as advice givers, help people to grow. Think of ways to help people be focused on their mission. Be open and available to everyone. And, you know, that means welcoming interruptions as providential. Henry Nouwen used to say that he was always irritated by, by, by uh, interruptions. But then one day he realized that's where ministry happens. Right. Right. We, we need to be tolerant of disagreement. Nobody's thinking if everybody's thinking alike. We need to delegate. I touched on this earlier. Even when we know we could do a better job ourselves. We need to give credit and praise to others. I had a commander that was always looking for opportunities to tell soldiers they did a good job. That made an impression on me. We need to be honest under pressure. And we need to keep our promises. Those are some thoughts that I think uh, are, are vital in ministry. And one other, I guess, uh, I read this years ago. One thing all leaders have in common is a high tolerance of uncertainty. I'm sure this is true in the Marine Corps and the Army. We were either anticipating, experiencing, or recovering from a major change. I'm sure that's true in the parish as well. And you've got to go with the flow. I mean, you've got, you've got to realize that these things are going to happen. Everybody likes everything to be the same all the time. They don't like change, and uh, but change is inevitable, and we have to tell people that's okay. Absolutely. We don't serve a static God. We certainly can't expect everything to stay the same. Well, I tell you and what. Billy, and Billy Graham said that the price of leadership is prayer, and that's something I, I'm always trying to get better at. Absolutely. Uh, but I, I, you know, I... In order for me to be all that I can be, I have to rely on the Lord. And that means spending some time before the throne of God. Uh, amen. I think that probably is the best possible way to bring this conversation. Absolutely. I am time and again, a passing, this happens to me a lot, I'm passing through the meeting house, through the sanctuary in a hurry to do something. And I say, oh, I should stop and pray. And it's like, yeah, you really should <laughs> like to, not just passing through to get the thing, to go do the thing. Yeah. Like that's the thing that undergirds everything else. Oh man. Thanks so that, much, sir. I sure appreciate part, it. Yeah. That's part of being not doing, hmm. you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Well, thank you, sir. I sure appreciate it. Thanks so much. And uh, I look forward to seeing more pictures of you out kayaking. And uh, I appreciate too. I, uh, every now and then I'll get like a book review or some a thought from you in my, my inbox. I appreciate those things. And uh, I'm glad to know you and I'm glad to, to learn from you. I'm going to, I'm going to go through and edit this video later and I'm going to listen to you and I'm sure I'm going to learn some more things and, and process those things. So I sure appreciate it. God bless you today. Blessings all over your, everything that the Lord has you doing these days. You bet. I, it's been great uh, spending this time with you. I miss you. And uh, I will, uh, I'll, I'll send you some, um, an email with a few other resources on this. Oh, please. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I appreciate it. All right. God bless you. Have a great day. Okay. Take care. Yep. Yep. Bye-bye.